0: Thank you, guys. Good morning. My name is Todd. I'm one of the elders here at Anthem. Um, We are continuing our study in Genesis, so if you want to open there, we're going to be in chapter 30, and we have a lot of ground to cover today. Uh, we're, We're starting in verse 25. We're going to finish out chapter 30, and then we're going to do all 55 verses of chapter 31. So that's a lot of ground to cover, and if that sounds like a daunting task then it, that's, that gets you in about the same headspace that Jacob's in. <laughs> Jacob is, uh, went to visit his uncle Laban. Uh, he went to go just for a short visit, and that was 14 years ago. <laughs> so he stayed a little bit longer than he planned, and, and the distance between him and home is 400 miles by foot or by camel. So you can see why if you have something like that in front of you, you might put it off. <laughs> like, you ever have, like, big things when it's so big that you don't even know where to start? It's, it's almost too big. That's, that's the headspace that Jacob is in. It's been 14 years. He's gotten kind of used to where he is. It's 400 miles. That's a long way. But recent events have now prompted him to, to think back to home. And so that's where he's headed, and that's where we're headed today. So we've got a lot of text. so let's jump in. Chapter 30, hopefully you found it by now. Verse 25 through 28. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, "'Send me away, that I may go to my home and country.'" Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. What we're going to see all throughout this morning is a contrast between Laban and Jacob. We're going to see a back and forth between them. We're going to see the contrast. We're going to see Jacob is coming to life to the things of God, his soul is expanding. He's looking outside of himself. He's looking to other people and their interests. He's looking to God and what God would have for him. And we're going to see Laban who looks inward. And as the passage goes along, we're going to see the contrast between those who look outside of themselves to God and to others and beyond their own self-interest. And so we're going to see Laban who just keeps looking more and more inward. And we're going to see Laban shrivel and turn inward and turn inward and spiral into like a shriveled shell of a person. We're going to see Jacob's soul expanding and growing in the things of God as he looks to others and what they need from him. His responsibilities what God would have him do. And we're going to see this contrast throughout all the pastors this morning. And even here we see Jacob. It says, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph. So this is the first child born to Rachel. If you remember that last week, Rachel struggled with infertility. Rachel was the wife he loved. It was the one he worked for initially but got tricked and ended up being married to Leah. And so now that he has a child through Rachel... It occurs to him, I don't want to raise my kid here. Now, he has other kids, and this should have dawned on him before now. <laughs> but Joseph, I think, is like the first child through Rachel, through the wife. This is the, this is the way he wanted it. And now that things are getting real, he's like, I need to get home. And so that's what prompts him to start. Recent events in his, his life have now prompted him back to the, what God had called him to initially. And, and maybe that's where some of you are this morning. Maybe recent events have prompted you to think again about God. Maybe something's happened in your life that you're like, I need to get back to church. I need to figure out this God thing. I need to get back to where I'm supposed to be. Recent events in his life have now prompted his thoughts back towards where he should have been thinking all along. And it's making that 400-mile trip seem worth it now. Yes, it's a big deal. It's always been 400 miles. The trip hasn't got shorter since Joseph's been born. But recent events have now prompted him to think, that trip is worth it because I need to be back home where I belong, where I was always supposed to be. I was never supposed to be gone this long I shouldn't have been gone this far away. It's time to go home. But Laban's interests are self interest You see this? The, the second that he gets a whiff, it's been 14 years, he's had a pretty good run, and now all of a sudden Jacob wants to go, and he's like, don't, please don't go, because you are really good for business. The demons told me that you're good for business. You see that? He learned by divination. What, what, what's Laban's interest in God. What's he, what's he, he's willing to turn to religion to try and figure out how to better his own situation. He's willing to do the church thing if it benefits him. He's willing to, to talk to the gods if there are any, but what he talks to them about is his money. His only interest in God is what can God do for him. So he's willing to send out a lifeline. If anybody's out there, can you help me keep this money in my wallet? What's going on? I wanna stay wealthy. And the thing that I, I've learned is that Jacob is good for business. And I don't really care about Jacob or what's good for him or for his family, my daughters, my grandchildren. I don't care what's good for them. I care what's good for me. So whatever it takes for you to stay. You ever been in that place where something good is slipping through your fingers and you see it going away and you don't know what, to, what your life will be like without it? And so you're willing to do whatever it takes to make it stay? That's the headspace that Laban's in. He's turning in on himself. The only He's even willing to be religious if it helps himself. He's willing to turn to God as long as it benefits him. And so he's willing to flatter Jacob and be like, oh, if I found favor in your sight, Jacob, you're so great. And he's willing to turn to God and the gods and turn to divination and figure out what's going on. And he's willing to, to spend some money. He's like, name your wages. I'll give you whatever you want as long as you stay. Just stay. I need you to stay because you're good for my business. And my, his only interest is self-interest. And he's already turning inward. And we're going to see that more and more as the passage goes along. So Jacob is being pulled in two different directions. God is pulling him home, pulling him towards his promise, the land of his father's, where he wants to raise his kids. And Laban is pulling him here. Hey, stay here. You want, you want to be wealthy? I'll make you wealthy. I can give you that, Jacob. What do you want? What, what, what's, at, what's at home? What, what, I can match it. Whatever is at home, I can match it here. And so Jacob's being pulled in two different directions. Verse 29, Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me, for you have little before I came And it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? Laban said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and those shall be my wages." So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted as stolen. Lacob said, Laban said, good, let it be as you've said. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons. And then he set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of the Laban's flock. We see Jacob in his outward growingness is growing in humility. That's one of the signs that you're growing towards God. He's humble. He's worked for 14 years without a paycheck. 14 years of hard work, being duped halfway through it, 14 years into it. He's got two wives and a lot of kids to show for it. He's had room and board, but he doesn't have anything of his own. He doesn't have like a house. He doesn't have his own stuff. And he's worked very hard, we'll find out later, for all this stuff. And he doesn't have a paycheck. And what does he say when he has uh, to, to offer up a paycheck? In humility, he's like, give me the speckled goats and the black sheep. Like, give me the worst of the sheep, and give me the, the worst of the goats, like the ones that don't sell very well at market, the one when you put them on eBay, they don't give them any bids on them. This is back when eBay was still a thing, back in Genesis, that's not a thing anymore. <laughs> but back in Genesis, they still had eBay. So he's like, whatever, whatever the cheaper ones are, I'll take those. Like, I'm a humble dude, I'm not asking for the best, I'm not saying give me the best ram and everything, and I'll go out and propagate my whole thing. He says, give me the worst, just give me those, and I'll take those, I'll take the leftovers, I'll take that. He's humble he's growing outwardly. He doesn't need the best from Laban because he's got what he wants in God, so he doesn't need that anymore. And he's like, if God's with me, then these things will prosper. And even the speckled goats and the black sheep, I can make a living off of that. I can figure that out. We also see him growing in responsibility. You see that? Did you see him communicate his interests aren't just himself and what's best for him? He says, when, when am I going to start being able to provide for my own household? I have these wives and these kids. I want to be the one who pays for her flowers. I'm tired of using your credit card, Laban, to buy my wife's flowers. I want to buy my own wife's flowers. I want to buy my own kids' birthday presents. I want to do that for them because I love them. I want to be responsible. His his soul is expanding outside of just his own narrow interests. And we see this even repeated in the New Testament. I have it up on a slide for you. Anything outside the text, I'll put up on the slides for you so you can keep your finger in Genesis. But look at 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, what Paul says to Timothy. He says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This idea of feeling responsible for those that God's put in your realm is inherent. It's so biblical that even Paul would say, I would question your faith if you don't care for your own wife and kids. Like it's, it's so fundamental to what the soul's orientation should be that it's equated to denying the faith if you don't take responsibility for those God's called you to take responsibility for. So Jacob is growing in this way. He wants to provide for his house. That's a good thing. His soul is expanding. Contrast that with Laban. Jacob names his wages. He's like, I'll take the black sheep and the speckled goats. What does Laban do? Takes all of them out. And sends him three days away with his sons. He takes, he takes the worst. They're already the worst. It's already the least valuable of all of his flock. And instead of just allowing Jacob to take that, he takes them out and then puts three days distance between them. So there's no chance that anybody's going to mate and produce those. He's trying to skimp as much as possible. This guy has worked 14 years for him, and he's trying to get out of paying him anything possible. And when he's thinking, think about what he's doing. He's not just robbing Jacob. He's robbing his grandchildren. His daughters are this guy's wives. He is literally taking food out of his grandchildren's mouth. He is so self interested. He's got the RV with the bumper sticker that says, I'm spending my grandchildren's inheritance. Just roaming around like, yeah, it's my money. I earned it. I'm going to blow it all. That's his attitude towards life. I earned it. I'm going to spend it all. It's all self interest. Instead of what Proverbs says, a godly man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. A godly man thinks generations. A godly man thinks, "How's I'm going to have my kids are going to have kids someday? What's their life going to be like? What does how am I living now going to affect them in terms of the money, the inheritance, the faith that's going to be handed down?" Laban's not thinking about any of that. Laban's thinking, "I don't want to lose any money more than I have to," so he takes out even the worst sheep and puts three days between them to try and keep them from being able to propagate. So, what's Jacob going to do now, right? Like he just named his wages, and now Laban's made it as functionally as hard as possible for him to, to earn a living. Pick it up in verse 37. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the blackened flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger would be Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. So before you ask, I don't know. Nobody knows. This is not how that thing works. Imagine, imagine if it did work that way. You'd have to be so careful about how you decorated your bedroom. you like re-question that abstract art when an abstract kid... This is not how that works. There's no reason why this should work. The only point of any of this is that God is with Jacob. No matter what he does, it is prospering because God is with him. And God is with him even if Laban is against him. That's the point of this story. It's a crazy story. You're like, that doesn't make any sense. You're correct, it doesn't. The only way it makes sense is if God is with Jacob. That's the only way any of this actually makes sense. It doesn't matter. This whole stripes thing or whatever, it's ingenuitive, it's creative, I guess it's making lemonade out of lemons, but it's a God thing. God is with Jacob, even if Laban is against him. And we see that now that we turn into chapter 31, the first three verses. Look, now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all of our father's wealth, and from what was our father's, he's gained all this. Like, oh, Jacob is, is robbing my father. It's like, <laughs> are you kidding, robbing him? Are you kidding me? And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Laban's face had changed when he looks at him. He's like, I don't think he likes me anymore. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. That's what's going on here. God is with Jacob, even if Laban's against him. And this crazy plan that doesn't make any sense is working because God wants to send Jacob out with wages. And so if speckled sheep are what he says his wages are, speckled sheep he has. If black sheep are what he wants, then black sheep is what he has. And he's giving him what he needs to do the thing he wants to do. What does Jacob want to do? Take care of his family. What's he willing to do? Whatever it takes with what he has to honor God. He's doing whatever he can to try and fulfill his obligations, to expand. He's like, I want to fulfill my responsibilities, and I don't have much to work with, but whatever I have I'm going to employ for the glory of God and the good of my neighbor. And right now my neighbor are the people who share a last name with me and live at my address. And he wants to do that. And so God provides him the thing that he wants to do because this is a godly thing he's opening himself up to. And so God provides a way for him to do the very thing that he's trying to do. God is with Jacob. And we see that God's with him, and that's causing problems, right? Laban's sons are now mad at him. Laban's countenance has changed. You know, like the way like your dad, like he would like, hold his face, and you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> Like that look, like, I think they're mad at me. His face has changed towards Jacob. But some of us don't have a category for this. We have Christian, and we have people with problems. If you're a Christian, that means you don't have problems. And if you have problems, it's because you're not a Christian. We don't have categories for a Christian with problems. We don't have a category for that because we're like, well, if things are going wrong in my life, then maybe I'm not even a Christian, or maybe I need to try harder, or maybe... Or it's like, or if I have these problems over here, ah, like, what's going on? Like, we don't have a way to, to, to blend the two, but what we see in Scripture all the time is everything has problems. You either have the kind of problems Christians have, which means unbelievers don't like you sometimes, sometimes you don't get along with people based on your faith, or you have the kind of problems unbelievers have, like Laban. His good thing is leaving and he doesn't know what to do about it. All the good things in his life are evaporating before him, and he doesn't know what to do because he doesn't have a stronger appeal. God's telling, telling Jacob to leave, and all he has is money to offer him. And Jacob's like, eh, I would rather go where God is. And he's got nothing to offer him. So you either have the kind of problems unbelievers have, or you have the kind of problems Christians have. Jacob right now is experiencing the kind of problems he has because he's following God. If he had just decided not to go home, all these problems go away. If he had just decided not to ask for his wages to provide for his family, all these problems go away. All of them go away, but all these problems are because he is doing what God has said. And so Jacob, like us, have a a choice to make. Do we want the kind of problems that come with following Jesus? Or do we want the kind of problems that come with ignoring what he's asked us to do? Which problems do you want to have, Anthem? Which problems do you want to have in your life? You will have them. Stop trying to imagine a life without problems. It doesn't exist. You can either have the problems that come with following what God says and invite them, welcome them into your life, Or you can have the kind of problems that you have for not following Jesus and resent the fact that they're there, even though you're doing everything you can to get out of a place where you have any problems. So what's Jacob do? He has a decision to make. Which problems will he pick? Which problems will we pick? Verse 4, so Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field. He's going to have a family meeting where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. I'm having problems, but God is with me. The presence of problems does not mean the absence of God. I think Luke said that a few weeks back. Remember that? The presence of problems does not mean the absence of God. God's with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore spotted. And if he said, the stripes will be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that made with the flock were striped and spotted and molted. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and molted, and I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise. Go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left for us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. You see what God says to Jacob? He's like, I have seen everything that Laban has done to you. It's been 14 years, 10 times his wages have been changed. He's been cheated, taken advantage of, taken for granted. Had to watch his wives be maltreated by their own dad, his father-in-law, for 14 years. And God says, I've seen all of it. Jacob, be comforted. I have seen everything that has been done to you. Every wrong that has been done to you, I have seen it. Everything that's been done wrong to you, Anthem, God has seen it. He has seen the wrongs that have been done to you, been done wrong to your family members, those you care about. He's seen all those things. He has seen everything that has been done to you. And that is a great comfort. Look what also he says to Jacob, though I have seen everything that's been done to you, Jacob, but I've also seen everything that you've done. Remember, Jacob? Remember back at Bethel? I revealed myself to you in Jacob's ladder, and you woke up and said, How awesome is this place! and you lifted a rock and poured some oil on it. And you said, and you made a promise to me that you would worship me if I took care of you. Remember that, Jacob? I have it up on a slide for you. Genesis 28, 20 through 21. This is what Jacob said. God revealed himself to him back in Bethel when he was on his way to Laban's house. Look what Jacob said. And God saw this. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, I will and, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. God saying, I've seen everything that Laban's done to you. But I saw that promise you made as a poor, broke guy, first time out on his own, away from home, scared, trying to figure life out. I saw when I revealed myself to you, your response was, if I take care of you, I will worship you. I've taken care of you, Jacob. Now it's time to worship me. I saw the value made to me. Your move. God has been with Jacob. God has been with you. And for some of you, maybe that's you this morning, there were promises that have been made somewhere in your past that God saw, and it's time to cash the check. And God is saying, I've been with you. Are you with me? I'm with you. Are you with me? It's time for some of you to say, my God. God. First person, possessive pronoun, my. God is up in heaven, but is he your God? He's been with you. Are you with him? Are you ready to say, God, you are my God. I will stand in front of everybody and say, that God, the one, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's mine. I belong to him. He's mine and he belongs to me. Are you ready to identify with him? He's been with you. He's seen everything and all the wrongs that have been done in your life. Do you see him? Do you remember the promises you made to him? He said, if you'll take care of me, then I will worship you, which was a pretty wimpy prayer, but it was something. It was better than nothing. But now God has done everything that Jacob put conditions on. Is Jacob ready now to actually do, or were the conditions just to keep God at arm's length? Once God does the thing, the last thing you asked, is there another thing that he needs to do? Is there another hoop you require him to jump through before you'll just say, fine, I worship you, you're my God? It's like, okay, you got me through that health crisis but now what about my paycheck? Or now what about getting married? Or what about a kid? Or what about another kid? Or what about a healthy kid? Has God answered the last prayer and now you've just moved on to the next one? And you're going to get constantly, these conditions are keeping him at an arm length instead of just saying, my God. You've done everything I could ever ask and ever imagine. And I trust that in the future, you'll do everything I need. It's time for me today to claim you as my God. You've claimed me as your own. I need to claim you in return. So, what's Jacob's move then? God's just said, Hey, I saw that, Jacob. Your move. Verse 17. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He's ready to go. He's like, I'm doing this. It's been too long. 400 miles isn't getting shorter. Every day I put it off, the truck doesn't get any shorter. And the more time I spend here, the harder it is to leave. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padanaram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. So Jacob makes the right move. (laughs) I'm headed home. and This is is literally the first step in the right direction. All of, everything up until now has been promises and vows and commitments. Oh, God, if you do this, I will do that. And everything's just been in theory. Now this is literal steps in the right direction. Some of you need to take that first step. It, just, it doesn't matter if it's wimpy. It just needs to be a step. You've been talking about it for too long. And all the talk and all the talk just makes it less likely that you're actually going to go. And so Jacob actually takes a literal step towards home for the first time. And sets his face towards where he's supposed to go, where God has called him. And he's moving there, but he doesn't move perfectly. He's moving, but he still has some carry-on. Do you see that? Jacob is still conflict-averse. When does he go? When, when Laban's out shearing the sheep. It's like convenient. Laban's out shearing the sheep. It's like, they're, they're, he's out, He's busy seems like a good time to go. <laughs> so he's, he's headed home, but his heels are pointed in the right direction. <laughs> he needs to turn around. <laughs> right now, he's kind of backing out. He's like, okay, it seems like a good time to go. I don't, think, I don't think Laban can hear us. Let's go. And did you see what Rachel does on the way out the door? She steals her father's household gods, which just, this is just an aside. This is bonus sermon. If your gods can be stolen, your god's super lame. <laughs> like if someone can steal your god, how dumb is your god? <laughs> Like, it can't even defend itself. Like, somebody could literally steal your God. That's pretty weak sauce. So they're on the right trajectory, but they still got some baggage, right? And that's good news for us. That's good news. God didn't say, come, wait until you're perfect and then come. God said, come, Jacob, right now. And does God know who he's getting when he says come? Does he, he just said, I've seen everything that's been done to you, and I've seen everything that you've done. Have you seen everything Jacob's done, Anthem? Have you been following along? Does God know what he's getting himself into when he invites Jacob over for dinner? Yes. So this is not brand new information to God, and this is great news for sinners who are trying to follow Jesus. Look, he's he's making a step in the right direction. That doesn't mean they're perfect. They got some stuff to work out. This is a problem. You can't just continue to be conflict-averse and try and trick people. And you probably shouldn't steal your father's gods. Even if he was mean to you, you probably shouldn't take revenge on him this way, even though it's kind of a funny way to take revenge on him is to steal his god. Like, it's kind of an ironic way to to stick it to the man. But they have growth to do, but they're in the right direction, which means you're growing. You're not—to be outward doesn't mean that you've arrived. It just means you're, you're growing. Your soul is expanding to the things of God and to those around you. So they're on the road, and then Laban is like a parent who kind of notices it's the wrong kind of quiet. You know about any of your parents? You know, you've you gone around on a Saturday, and you're like, huh, we have kids. I haven't heard them in a while. Something's wrong. <laughs> it's the wrong kind of quiet. He's like, wait a minute. I, there should, Jacob has like 11 kids. There should be a lot more, what's going on? And so it's the wrong kind of quiet. So he notices, verse 22, when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled... He took his kinsmen with him and pursued him seven days and followed close after him into the hill country. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? That you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? Like, I was going to throw you a going-away party. That's Yeah, that wasn't going to happen. Um, why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and daughters farewell? Oh, I love my grandchildren so much. I'm robbing them blind, but I just love them so much. Why did you leave? I'm such a good granddad. Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do harm but the God of your father spoke to me last night and said, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. It sounds like you didn't take that advice. Well, you sit here (laughs) talking smack. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Which is a crazy sentence. (laughs) Why did you steal my God? Because why is it your God if it can be stolen? Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that's yours and take it. If anything, if you see anything that's yours, take it back. I don't want anything that's yours. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and the tent of the two female servants, and he couldn't find them. And he went out to Leah's tent and then entered Rachel's. Now, Rachel had taken the household gods, because she's smart, and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them questionable. Uh, Laban felt all about the tent but could not find them and she said to her father, let not your Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you for the way of women is upon me. So he searched but did not find the household gods. Why does that work? Well, for the same reason why I'm not going to go on a spiel talking to you about what the way of women is. <laughs> it makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> so if you throw us that out, it's like the way of women is upon me. He's like, enough nope said, I'll go over here. <laughs> Laban's continually... Bending inward. He just keeps, he sell, his only interests are self interest. God himself shows up to Laban on a desert road as he's pursuing his grandson or his, his son in law and says, Don't talk to Jacob. And he wakes up, continues to follow them, and then continues to talk to Jacob. He's so inward focused that even if God spoke out loud to him, he would ignore it. Have you ever been in that place? Let's say, for example, God wrote a book and then said something to you, and you're like, eh, I'm going to do something else. Have you ever been in a spot where you hear God's voice? If you want to hear God's voice, just read your Bible out loud. And you're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Jacob is so self-interested that even if God himself were to show up and tell him what to do, he would ignore it, because he's smarter than God. And his gods are out on the road somewhere, and he's got to chase them down. So he's going to ignore the voice of God who can find him on a desert road in order to chase down his little gods that he can't even find. He's so inward bent that he doesn't see how silly it is that his gods have ran away from him. In the meantime, the real God has found him in the desert or found him on a Sunday morning in Columbia, Missouri, and spoken to them out loud, and yet he's going to ignore that because he's still chasing his gods around wherever it is. Laban's so inward bent that he can't even pay attention to God because he's so focused on his little idols that he can't find. And they keep getting out of his hands. He can't hold on to them. Meanwhile, Jacob is outward bending. He's thinking about other people. And even here, like, he takes a bold move and speaks for God and says, Laban, check everywhere. I don't have your gods. I have a god. I don't need your gods. Your gods, if if they're made out of metal, that's all they're worth at best. I have the real deal. And he speaks very boldly and says, if you find those gods here, you can kill that person because I I don't have your stuff. He's speaking like with integrity and he's speaking on behalf of God because he's in clean conscience before him for the first time in his life. For the first time in his life, he is doing what God has asked him to do. And so he has the, the, the conscience to speak boldly. Some of us don't speak boldly because we're compromised and we know it. And if we spoke boldly, it would immediately shed a light on all those things in our own life that, are, that people would immediately see, because we don't want to shine a light too brightly, because then all of our stuff would be shown too. Jacob is speaking boldly on behalf of God, saying, I don't have your gods. Why would I want them? They can be stolen. You can't even find yours. <laughs> My God found you. Why would I trade this? Why would I trade? Mine, mine seems like the real deal. But this is the first time in Jacob's life that he has ever been accused of something he didn't do, <laughs> For, for the most part, Jacob is a scoundrel, and if people throw shade at him, it's because he deserves it. Jacob's up to no good most of the time, but this is the first time somebody's ever accused him of doing something wrong that he actually hasn't done, so he doesn't take it very well. <laughs> Look at verse 36. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. He's I can't believe it. You would accuse me of wrong? <laughs> it's like, this is the first time you've ever done anything right. Maybe, maybe perspective, Jacob, Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Nothing. Said it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that we may beside between the two of us. These 20 years I have been with you. It was seven years for Leah, seven years for Rachel. Now six years this whole fiasco has been going on. 20 years of being somewhere he's not supposed to be. 20 years this is, I've been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. For my hand you acquired it, whether stolen by day or by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. This has not been an easy gig, tending these sheep. And as he was there, the sheep kept getting more and more, so he has more and more to take care of. These 20 years I've been in your house, I've served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. You've changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these daughters— or for their children whom they have borne. Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahadutha, which is Aramaic, but Jacob called it Galid, which is Hebrew. Same word, witness. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he called it Galid and Mizpah, which means watchtower. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me. When we are out of one another's sight, if you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Even if no one else sees it, God sees. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and this pillar which I have set between you and me, this heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his grandchildren and his daughters, and blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned home. This whole passage, we've seen a contrast between Laban and Jacob. They are going different directions spiritually. Jacob is expanding and growing in the things of God. Laban is continuing to shrivel and spiral into self-interest, and his inward focus is just crushing. He's like he's disintegrating. He's becoming less and less of himself, whereas Jacob is becoming more himself. As he looks to God, he's expanding. And now what's been happening spiritually is now happening physically. They are physically going to be going different directions from this point on. And like two kids trying to share a room, they draw a line down the middle. So my side of the room... That's your side of the room. Don't cross it at the penalty of knuckle sandwich, you know? Like they are saying, let's just make this official. Let's draw a line and go our separate ways. Let's do that. Because it's, it's becoming obvious. We are going different directions in life, Laban. I'm going to where God is. You want what's best for you. Let's just make it physically. Let's make a physical representation of what's been happening inside both of us. I'm going to where God is, whatever it costs. You want to stay at home because you're not willing to pay any cost you want what's best for you. And so they set up this line. They set up with stones and they mark it and they call it witness or mizpah, which is a watchtower, saying literally this tower will watch over us. And even if nobody sees what's going on, God sees. And did you see whose name that Jacob swore by? We're in the book of Genesis, which we've titled the series Introducing God. And here's a new name for God that maybe you haven't seen before. Did you see twice he said it? The fear of Isaac. He swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Isaac. This is a new name for some of us to think of God that way, the fear of Isaac. You remember Isaac? He was wanting to do what he wanted to do. He wanted to bless Esau. He didn't care what God said. He wanted to do what he wanted, just like Laban. He was inward focused. And in the midst of trying to go against God's will, he realized that God had arranged things so that he was blessing Jacob. Even though he was trying his hardest to bless Esau, God arranged it so that he actually blessed his son Jacob And you remember what happened when he got caught the moment he knew he was busted when Esau came in and said, hey, dad, I got the meat. He's like, who are you? And it said he trembled with trembling. Like he trembled, trembled. His goosebumps got goosebumps. He came apart. In that moment, the fear of Isaac realized, God sees everything and I'm up to no good. God sees it all. And in that moment, Isaac feared God. He feared him. and said, God sees even this. I need to turn God sees what I'm up to, and the fear of God came upon Isaac. And we see in the very next chapter, he's blessing Jacob on purpose this time, not by accident, but because it's always been what God called him to do, but now he's doing it out of obedience to the God who sees everything that he does. And so Jacob, when he's sitting here making a promise, he says, I swear by the fear of my father Isaac, I swear by the God who sees everything, who sees all of it, no matter what happens, that I will follow him, and I will not cross this line. I will not go the way of you, Laban. I will not go the way of idolatry and self-interest. I'm going to go where God wants me, whatever that costs me. I'm going to continue to expand and go outward and think of the things of God, even if you continue to go in that direction. So Anthem Church, as we lay on the plane this morning, God has not stopped watching. God is watching. He sees everything. He sees all that's been done to you, all the wrongs that have been done to you. But he also sees all that you have done. Now, if you are a Christian this morning, if you put your faith in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, the fact that God sees everything is our greatest comfort. God sees it all. He sees that you've been wronged. You don't have to take revenge for yourself. He will avenge it for you. You don't need to send that hateful email, that text. You don't have to throw shade. God's got your back. He sees it all. And if it's a real wrong, he will right it. And if that person repents and believes in Jesus, he will put that sin on Jesus and not that person. It's not up to you. The good news is that God sees everything that you've done, which means when you go to communion, when you go to this table, there is not one sin of yours that is not paid for by this table. God sees all of it, and that is good news for the Christian. That means all your sins, every single one of them, even the ones that you didn't notice are paid for by that sacrifice. Be comforted, Christian. When the band comes up and we sing and when you make your way to the table and you, you take off a piece of the bread, which is Jesus' body, and you dip it into the cup, which is Jesus' blood that was shed for you, all of your sins have been paid for. There's none of them left out that you have to make up for. There's no, there's no part on the end that's your responsibility to make up the difference. All of it is on that table because God sees everything. And that's great news for those of us who love Jesus. If you have not yet committed your way to Jesus, or you're still in that spot where it's been 14 years stuck in a bad habit, or 400 miles seems like a long way, and I'm not sure if I'm up for it, God sees what you are doing. And your trajectory, your inward self interest, is going to shrivel your soul. And the more that you get into it, the more shriveled and narrow minded you are. The, the most narrow interest in the world is self interest it's just you, and the world revolves around you, and you shrivel and shrink. So today, if that is you, repent, because if you are hearing my voice today, like Laban on that road, he could have stopped and not tracked Jacob down. He could have stopped and not said anything to him. He could have listened to the voice of God and obeyed. Today, you can repent. You can turn. Instead of being on this trajectory of going one way or the other, if you're going the wrong way, you can stop and repent, which means turn around, change your mind, and start going the direction that God has to you. You do not have to continue on this downward, inward, shriveled spiral. You can expand, but it means giving up those idols. It means stop chasing all those other things and stop, start listening to God and following him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and that it gives us the opportunity to step outside of ourselves. Thank you that the world does not begin and end with me and my interests. There's so many things I care about, so many things that I want for myself. And if I get consumed and caught up in them, I can easily make that my entire day. Without a thought to my wife, my kids, my neighbor, my God. I can consume myself so easily. It's, it's the easiest thing in the world to fall into, is to, to fall into self-interest. and narrow-minded self-interest. Lord, forgive us. Thank you for this table that you set before us where your son paid for all of our sins. Not one of them escapes your notice. You see everything, which is terrifying. But it's also the most comforting thought in the world to know that when I come to this table, every one of my sins is paid for because you have not missed any of them. And knowing all of that, you still sent your son. Knowing everything about us, just like Jacob, you knew what you were getting yourself into. When you called Jacob home, you knew who you were getting. When you call us this morning, Anthem Church, you know who you're getting. You know the carry-on baggage that's going to come with us. You know that those baby steps are going to be weak and we're going to fall and we're not going to look good trying to walk. Some people might even laugh and say, why are you even trying to walk? You're not doing a great job. You can't walk. Lord, give us faith to take those first steps, those weak, immature first steps. And if we've been walking following you, give us faith and perseverance to keep walking towards you despite the carry-on baggage, despite those disappointments we have with ourselves. May we look to you and say, God, if you are with me, who could be against me? If you're for me, what could ever overtake me? Help us not to chase idols, to chase things that slip through our fingers, but help us to depend on you, the one reliable God who finds us wherever we are, out in the desert, by ourselves in a room full of people, in a crowded room on a Sunday morning in Columbia, Missouri, you find us and you speak to us. Help us not to neglect your voice, but to follow you. And as we take communion this morning, remind us that all of our sins in you have been seen, paid for, and forgiven. In your name we pray, amen.